Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Bennett D. Bennett. Bennett is a principal at consultancy Aerialist and the VP of Partnerships at 600 and Rising, a grassroots organization that advocates for the advancement of black talent and advertising. Bennett, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you. Very good to talk to you. And in fact, we have a lot to cover. <laughs> a lot is going on in your world. But I thought we would start with kind of your big disruptive act. I mean, it's this now famous open letter which called for the advertising industry to take you know, real action on racial inequality. I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this all happened? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, it starts like any crazy moment would, probably through Twitter. Uh, I've more or less been still kind of industry adjacent. And when the protests in Minneapolis happened, uh, I'd been a journalist in a past life. I had worked agency side in a past life at a BBDO, sister agency of TBWA. And so, you know, I covered the Minneapolis area and uh, mm. some of the agencies out there. And it was just really interesting to me, uh, obviously, the cultural significance of the moment, the, the casual looking <clears throat> murder of uh, Mr. Floyd. And, you know, in that moment, I remember seeing a target being looted. Hmm. I don't, for, for a brand nerd like me, uh, I see a scenario like that where a staple of Minneapolis or even just uh, Minnesota in the Midwest, you know, as, as in Target being looted, uh, there has to be some sort of story behind it. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I know that the, the trade publications haven't always been the best about covering the intersection of race and civil unrest and the role brands have in it. So, you know, I more or less had like a bit of a tweet storm thing going on where, you know, I said, Hey, I know there are agencies out there. I know this is clearly not just a, a race or culture story. Like this is a brand story. Why is this target getting looted? That is important to know which agencies are being impacted by all this. I know there's Periscope. I know there's a uh, Cole McVoy and a few others. And in the midst of this, uh, I got connected with a young man named Nathan Young, who mm-hmm. is my co-founder at 600 and Rising. Before all that happened, uh, he was just a, a person who responded to my tweet. And I reached out to him directly, asked him, you know, if he was okay, if he'd even eaten or, or slept at, uh, since everything transpired uh, happened. And, you know, he, he was doing his best. He was doing his best. And, you know, he uh, reached out to me a few days later, had like an idea of acting. Uh, I didn't think that idea was going to be uh, taken well. <laughs> uh, it was kind of like a supercut of uh, police brutality, and uh, I said, uh, "If it's something that's triggering for me, another black man, uh, in the midst of all this, I, I don't think it would go over very well." Uh, so he went back to the drawing board and said, "I think there's an opportunity to engage with the industry." Hmm. So, what was that idea before the letter? It was a, uh, it was a, a supercut. Uh, obviously, George Floyd is not the only black person to be killed at the hands of, uh, of law enforcement. So it was more or less a 
deconstruction, reconstruction, supercut of uh, of just incidents uh, that have happened for Black folks uh, leading up to this. And as powerful as it could have been for the moment that was happening, it just didn't necessarily feel right, mm. like the right way to go about it. Like I understood the hurt and the, and the pain uh, that he had to go through. He lives four blocks away from the the murder scene. Right. He's at the epicenter. So he so he's thinking, let's do some kind of uh, interesting film. Yeah. Okay. He's he's thinking, let's uh, let's do an in- interesting film. And I'm very aware of trigger warnings. I'm very aware that uh, at that moment in time specifically. It could do some things and it could be impactful in a way, but like, was that what we were aiming for? Or mm. what was that like? Was that really the intention? Uh, you know, would the impact match the intention that he had with it? So he went back to the drawing board, came back to me uh, June the 1st. I remember him sharing a screenshot of that uh, that day and saying, hey, how about an open letter? Mm. I said, 100%, let's do it. Let's get some black leaders behind us and what became the open letter was formed. Uh, you know, we, we brought in uh, quite a few of our peers that we respected. It was a collaborative process from the beginning, bringing in like a wealth of people from different disciplines, different levels of seniority to help uh, draft that initial letter. We finalized a set of 12 steps that we felt were actionable and, you know, brought in a whole bunch of people afterwards. And Nathan said, let's do some outreach. I'm like, Cool. You know, combine our networks, get get a ton of people to uh, sign off on it, leave comments if needed, and uh, soon enough, let's just send it to the press. Cool. All right. Well, hold on. There, 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 there's, there's things we have to unpack. So, <laughs> one thing I was very curious about was the letter itself, and I think I like how you set this up. That well, maybe it's not a vi- you know a, a video thing. Maybe we need to go kind of old school. You know, print you know, an analog thing. And then to me, it kind of reminded me, I, I would say, of, of two Martin Luthers. So the first being mm-hmm. the 95 Theses, you know, in protest of the Catholic Church, you know, by, by the first Martin Luther. And then um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s, you know, letter from a Birmingham jail. You know, were there, the specific letter, were there letters that you were inspired by? Uh no, <laughs> I don't want to say, I, I, you know, I, I, I wish it was as simple as, you know, I was inspired by the, I don't want to say revolutionaries in the past, but maybe agitators and rabble rousers of the past. And like, I know open letters have, or just letters just, you know, put out into the, into the universe do have a, a history of, of making waves. Uh, but I think it was just a shared understanding of the 50 or so years in this journey that the ad industry has taken Mm. to become more inclusive, to become more diverse, to become more equitable, and the failures of that. Mm. Uh, And, you know, we tried to ensure that people who understood that journey were a part of that process. And, uh, you know, that, that was more of the inspiration, just mm. understanding our industry's history, understanding the moment that we're in, the civil unrest for sure, but also the pandemic, uh, both of which disproportionately impact the Black community. Right. So in the process, you're, 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 you, get, you get some input. And did you do, what was your, your surveying like? Was it more like, hey, what are you guys thinking? Did you have any kind of formal 
you know, even like a, you know, like a, some sort of, you know, survey software? I mean, how yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, we surveyed through Google Forms, nothing too crazy. Hmm. Uh, but I, uh, our survey was basically what fleshed out the 12 steps that wow. we that we laid out. Getting kind of a consensus of what things could be acted upon within 30, 60, 90 days, or at very least a year. Mm. And uh, Nathan is a strategy person by default. So that was definitely his strong suit. And the crazy insight was that we got a ton of our peers to agree on something, either agree mm. or strongly agree. And that really was the, the key to laying that foundation. The fact that we could all just like have that shared experience, no matter, you know, the kind of agency we worked at, no matter mm. our discipline, just the shared experience of being black in advertising, being known for our culture, but not respected for our impact in, in pitch rooms and, and beyond. Incredible. So before we get to, you know, the 12 points and kind of the effect of it, because there's plenty, uh, I, I also want to talk about the launch of it. So the letter's done. Mm-hmm. What, hap- what happens next? Uh, the letter's done. Nathan drops a press release. I say, all right, this is cool. I've got some friends in the, at the trades. You know, let's, let's just send it in. You know, uh, we had a couple of uh, friends in the PR space help us uh, put it together. You know, we wanted it to be a little bit more evocative. I barely remember, like, the words of the press release, but, like, I think they were matched. The energy in that letter was was matched by by the release. And then just sent it to, you know, the, the peers in the space that, that I know. And, and that was that. Like, you know, we also shared the letter on our social channels. And, I mean, again, like, uh, another part of it was making sure that we had maximum impact, right? So it wasn't just good enough to have these two black guys who had just met through social media uh, and maybe the about a hundred or so peers who had a hand in, in making it what it is, you know, we had to do outreach. So, you know, again, reaching out to our networks, I was like, Oh, 500 is a good number. Uh, and we got to 500 fairly quickly and then it kept going and going. And I'm like, let's see if we can make it to 600. And we got to 600 that, that felt like a really good number. And then as soon as it, it dropped, so many more of our peers ended up reaching out and saying, damn, I wanted to know about this. Like, right. why, did, why don't you tell me? And when you're in the process, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things. Like you want to be as inclusive of the black diaspora as possible. For example, I'm, I'm Jamaican American. I'm first gen. Uh, my specific experience, you know, identifying as, as such, my dad is from Jamaica. My biological mom is from, from the Carolinas. Mm. So, uh, for me, I have a very unique view of, of my blackness, uh, as opposed to, to other peers. I'm sure Nathan born in, born and raised in LA, spent a good time in Minneapolis where his family's from and also in, in Seattle. You know, I'm sure he had his view. And, and I remember talking to Anne Christine Diaz of that age about it. And, you know, I look at that letter and there are people who think that those 12 steps are going to be it, that there could have been more done for it. And I, I, look, I took 
uh, look at her and, and I said, hey, I, I completely get you. You know, I, I can only speak from my experience as a black man and I can only, you know, and we had so many hands trying to, to shape it into a more perfect document, for lack of a better term. Mm. Uh, but like, I, I didn't want this to be a situation where we spoke for everybody, more like we spoke for a shared experience. Right. And that's where insights come from, right? That, that shared experience that people can relate to. So those 12 steps, you know, those were never meant to be a catch-all. You know, this is your 12-step plan to becoming the, mm-hmm. the most diverse agency in the world. But it was meant to be a starting point. Well, I'll tell you, I think the, um, I refer to them as the, the 12 demands. Because when I saw it immediately on Twitter, uh, screenshotted it, printed it out, you know, probably did what you didn't want, which is like, oh my God, I have to checklist first. You know, what are we doing as an agency? And I was like, okay, well, hey, we got seven out of 12. That's not good enough. And I remember sending it immediately to our uh, leadership team. And, you know, whether or not those 12 were perfect, those 12 were perfectly good to be a lightning rod. And it was just like, bam. I mean, I have never seen so many uh, conversations, Zoom calls, uh, activity. Mm-hmm. I mean, were you, were you prepared uh, for this kind of uh, reaction? Uh, hell no. <laughs> uh, like I have broken some, some stories in, in my short time at the drum, but it is another thing to be part of the headline. I just did not, one, expect the outpouring of support from, from our peers, uh, from, you know, leaders like yourself, uh, and from individuals who may not work in advertising, who oh, yeah. say, oh, this is, this is a thing. This is, and, a and, and by the way, let's just talk a little bit about the launch and then get back into the effect. Yeah. I mean, this was a tweet. How did this thing launch? I mean, all I know is it, it erupted. Yeah. You know, we treated it like uh, a campaign launch. I'm lucky that I know people <laughs> at Adweek and the drums. So it's like, Hey guys, this is a thing that's happening you will see my name with a quote attached to it. Please uh, push this out. We had it embargoed for, I think it was a Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, you know, there, I think were a couple of people who wanted like interviews with us specifically before they put out stories. But, uh, you know, they pushed, they pushed it out. Like they made sure that this was, uh, this was a story that people needed to know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also just, uh, you know, we put out individual tweets on our own and said, hey, look, Google Doc, <laughs> here, here's our letter to, to the industry. And, and that was that, you know, 600 people ended up signing it. And we like, I'd be hard pressed to find 600 black people to agree on one thing when we live in a world where in, uh, Insecure exists right. as a TV show. Uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, it was great to have that mass shared experience that people agreed to. And it also, you know, I remember having a conversation with Keith Cartwright uh, from the Saturday morning group. Mm. Uh, and from his perspective, it was like, now the industry has zero excuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When people say, we don't know where to find talent. We're all the black people, all those questions. Well, 600 of them just like signed off on this. And then there was, the huge amount of uh, black employees who didn't know about it and kept reaching out to me and saying, dude, like, I wish I knew about this. Why don't you tell me? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, because I was working on it. That's right. right. You only have like so much time before uh, saying, you know what, this is good enough and push it out into the world. 
and and uh, yeah, so so that eruption was incredible. I think the six hundred you know people who just joined in, and we're going to get to what that formulated. But there was also something very important that I saw was pretty near immediate foray support. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, you know, for for added context, I'm a Maple alum. Uh, I came up. Uh, through diversity initiatives. Make being the minority advertising intern program. Yeah, yeah, multicultural advertising intern program. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was part of that 2013 class, historic 40th anniversary, and they wanted to, they had something in mind. They had something in mind where they wanted to address, you know, just this terrible issue with black talent from their lens. And it was, uh, you know, just a bit of serendipity that that we had this letter together and they wanted to, you know, they wanted to talk to us. And we said, you know what, we're kind of just like these two independent guys that are doing something. Nathan had the presence of mind to think, you know what, this feels like one of those moments where people might want to rally behind us and mm. we want to do something formal about that. So one, we were like, listen, what we're going to do as, you know, as just these two guys is try to build something formal out of it. And there was no, oh, we're going to launch this letter and then launch 600 and rising. It was like, oh, we launched this letter. Whoa, this is bigger than we thought. We need to do something to kind of galvanize this, uh, this energy and project it into something positive. Mm. And in the midst of it, you know, Nathan's like, Hey, let's make a nonprofit out of this. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then I reached out to him. And I think there, there was a bit of guilt in me that like, there were the 600 who signed it. And then there was the ton of people who also wanted to sign it, whether you were black or a non-black ally. And I'm like, yo, how is 600 in rising as an idea? <laughs> um, I've named a few things in my career uh, and uh, now I get to have this nonprofit. <laughs> as one I, of them. I love how your copywriting skills finally come in handy. It, finally, finally. It took, took long enough. Uh, uh, and he was like, that's great. That's going to be the name of the organization. Yeah. So as part of that just announcement, it was like, all right, cool. Like we're already talking to the four A's. They want to work with us uh, for ideas. They already have made, they have the advertising high schools. They have these scholarships. They're launching this like Vanguard program that specifically tackles the issues regarding black talent, uh, especially amidst senior roles. They are kind of that inside voice being the trade body. We are that outside Mm -hmm. agitator. Mm-hmm. Like there's a fit here that that can work long term. So it made sense. Like, all right, cool. Like, let's just like announce ourselves, but say, hey, you know, we're not just doing this as as renegades. Yeah. You know, we're trying to go about this uh, at, at the right way. So, well, I'll tell you, as, as a as, as a four A's board member myself, I mean, I as soon as I again I see your letter, all kind of things happen. I send a note uh, to Marla, and you know, she was on it. You know, and. and uh, I love this idea that agitation meets organization, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what starts to create change as well. You know, because you, uh, I think as you guys uh, see, you have the energy on this and now the energy needs to be focused and funneled uh, to make good stuff happen. So that, that's, that's really good. You know, like you said, it's only been about two months. I mean, I feel like I've seen some progress you, you tell me what you think. You know, I'm a, 
I'm not living it. Uh, like you said, I thought a lot of this was built up uh, over over so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you seeing some progress or not? Uh, yes, and uh, also it's too soon for me. You know, uh, I think yes in the sense that there is a there is a willingness to talk about the problem mm-hmm. and to uh, say, all right, you know what? Like I acknowledge uh, just my role in uh, systemic racism. Uh, and that is appreciated. And I, you know, it's a big step. Like it's a big step for a lot of executives and industry leaders to, you know, to acknowledge a problem, you know, every, you know, uh, and I think on the heels of our joint partnership with the four A's, we also ended up announcing a campaign called commit to change. Uh, where over 90 agencies have been part of that, mm. announcing that we are going to take those 12 steps as part of our game plan uh, to be more progressive, more inclusive agencies. But that starts with releasing our diversity info. Mm-hmm. It has been a bunch of really great independent agencies all over the country. I'm getting to like learn about so many new agencies. The industry is getting to learn about some of these uh, some of these players that you know aren't in the major markets, and it, that's cool and that's important. But uh, I, I think overall, yeah, I mean, it, it all paints the the picture that like, okay, we all have pretty bad numbers, uh, but like within our markets, within our community of uh, agencies, you know, here are plans that we can take uh, towards that. And I, I think being able to speak on the progress is that you're going to do is great. But I'm a big baseball guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's never about the swing that makes a home run. It is very much about the follow through. Mm. Very much about the follow through. Uh, and that's where my, that's where a bit of my hesitation to say, okay, there's, there's progress here. You know, it, it's been two months. Right. Uh, we, we don't know, you know, and I'm sure we're, you know, we've been hearing from some of the holding companies about their plans and their act and steps and you know some are quicker than others and i think a lot of the influence uh going forward needs to be driven by by the holding companies so you know i try to take things a day at a time it has been great that we are one of the major players there are others you know like walter gear who's part of the tbwa family mm-hmm. launching diversecreatives.com uh, i know he's part of uh the solution the really dope team at Allyship in Action, uh, who I'm, you know, I'm a founding partner of uh, just, again, serendipity, uh, that I happen to help them uh, put that June event together and there's more events uh, to come with them. There's a lot of players in that space who are just like, all right, we're not insiders. Mm-hmm. We're working, you know, we're coming with our different perspectives. You know, we have solutions to this problem. And, and that's the thing that, you know, when I think about progress, it's less like what's happening internally. Like, I don't have much of a stake in that anymore, mm. running my own consultancy. But like, absolutely hearing from Black peers who are still agency side, reach out and say, hey, like, this is great. Like, I'm really excited to, you know, actually have a voice and feel like I matter in these conversations is great. But, you know, again, you know, there's pressure on DNI folks uh, within those agencies, you know, oh, yeah. probably have been pushing 
for a lot of these policy changes and have had pushback from, you know, from, from their leadership mm-hmm. about it. And those are things that we hope to tackle as an organization. Yeah. Well, I think um, what, what I see, and again, I think uh, you, you point out some of the progress, but there was um, just some interesting things, kind of, you know, big picture, you know, awareness, I would say overdue changes and uh, what Doug Melville calls uh, black in business. So Doug Melville, who's our uh, chief diversity officer. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting when he mentioned black in business, I said, well, tell me more about this. He said, well, first off, Bennett's letter. He's like, that was, that was a lightning rod. That was great. But he, again, he also uh, highlighted P&G. And I think that uh, the choice, you know, that film and to, um, you know, I think if you, if you have been reading uh, Ibram Kendi or if you, you know, have read uh, White Fragility, if you start to read some of the literature, okay, maybe you understand systemic racism a little bit or, or how to be, you know, an anti-racist. Yeah. And you and I chatted about this at the allyship. But to have P&G, mm-hmm. you know, a big advertiser try to spread that message wide, that yeah. felt like, okay, that is a sign that something big could could happen. So, so that was something that 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 we we saw. The other two things I'll point out, and I'd love to hear your your point of view. Mm-hmm. The retiring of Aunt Jemima, you know, that's a big kind of advertising uh, icon moment. Uh, the renaming of the Redskins, and as a baseball guy, maybe yeah. maybe the Indians. Yeah. I don't know about the Braves. We don't know about the Braves. <laughs> but you know, if the Braves. Don't change their name. It's just another reason to hate them, because uh, okay. we're Met fans. I get it. Yeah, um, so, so that so that was kind of interesting. And then I think um, bringing the Confederate flag down at NASCAR mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. ending this Confederate fetish. I call it. I don't know what the hell this is. Those seemed like kind of big. I would call it advertising. Yes. Bits of progress. Yeah, uh, and I feel like. You're right about that. I, I I do think, you know, you do have to look at, yes, there's the internal staffing stuff, but like there's also the external facing stuff, you know, and a lot of those things, uh, the Aunt Jemima thing is, is major, you know, it's almost as, uh, I, I think that I'm sure maybe Uncle Ben's is uh, next on the chopping block. And that's, you know, they, they've been staples in Americana for such a long time, but they are also rooted in, in racism and minstrelsy and the Jim Crow era. So that's huge. NASCAR with the Confederate flag and the terrible situation with uh, Bubba Watson, like whether that was coincidence or planned stage, whatever, like, it, you know, it's unfortunate, but seeing the conglomerate of drivers, uh, his, his, family rally behind him Mm -hmm. uh seeing richard petty who you know he inherited the number 43 from come up behind him and even the deal with beats that happened afterwards like (laughs) was that about to happen sure (laughs) you know uh i think those are great p and g i'll be real like they've been doing this for maybe four or five years beginning with the talk Sure. sure you know beginning with the talk so uh you know they have already been in a driver's seat, so to speak, as a major multinational brand. Mm. And uh, a lot of other brands need to be taking that lead because, yeah. you know, that is corporate social responsibility. That is sustainability. That is, uh, you know, and, and those things are bigger than just diversity and inclusion. 
but yeah. that is like how these brands are going to need to survive, uh, not just to save face, but to just like be really, really like clear about where they stand uh, in society. So progress wise, I think, yes, brands are starting to feel that they need to be part of the solution. Mm. And it's in thinking about brand safety in terms of uh, major societal issues, it used to be one of those things that brands shied away from, but now they're all in this massive fire pit. And the only way to, to step out is to, one, take the heat, take some of the burns, do some healing, as one would do when burnt, and... <laughs> And then, you know, try to plan of action the way that ad agencies uh, are, are trying to do. It's very interesting. Uh, I've been running with this phrase, progress never comes quick enough for those who need it most. Hmm. I'll give a good example. Vanity Fair named uh, Radhika Jones, uh, their first editor-in-chief of color in that magazine's history. Uh, she's been in that role for three, four years, right? Done a lot of great stuff. But this week was the first time in that magazine's history, even with her, you know, at the top post, having a black photographer do the cover story Hmm. for Viola Davis, you know, like in like, you're going to think of her legacy as like something groundbreaking, something like of its time. But then it's just like those little things like, Ooh, shit. Like how come this hasn't even happened in, in those four years? Right. And you maybe can make, you know, some grace for her, like, you know, wanting to do right by those in the past. The fact that Anna Wintour is still like the big person in charge at a Condé Nast uh, on an artistic standpoint. But it's like, it also goes to show you, damn, these things, making that substantial change is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. Uh, and there's a bit of impatience in the air when you have millions of Americans cooped up at home. Uh, for longer than they usually are. So at least I, I try to take things objectively and say, you know what, good things take time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it, it may not be when you want it, but like when it comes, it's going to be great. Absolutely. And, and I think, uh, you know, at the Allyship uh, Summit, I think um, I, I love what, uh, what Jayanta Jenkins said. You know, he said that, you know, when we can make these companies happen together, Black and white companies, and that's really all people of color, you know, will be, he's a a thousand times better. And uh, I I think he's right. You know, I I really do. Now, I I think what would also be great at this juncture is maybe talk a little bit about your journey. I know you you hinted at it a little bit that you spent some time uh, in the agencies and as a journalist, but what's the Bennett D. Bennett story to get to here? Uh, Yeah. So Far Rock native, still living here with my parents. Uh, I was a physics major when I started college and it like it throws a lot of people off when they first hear it. But to those who went to high school with me, I went to a specialized high school called Brooklyn Tech, Fort Greene. It, it doesn't feel that far off. My parents, uh, being Jamaican immigrants, they cared about stable career paths for their kids. Mm-hmm. So my sister's in law school. She's at Fordham Law about to enter her final year. For me, it kind of was never that traditional. My dad fixed TVs and stereos growing mm-hmm. up and I, you know, I would always stay by uh, the Far Rock branch of the Queens Library, just like around the corner from him. And I was just like always reading, always writing, you know, but also around like TVs and stereos all the time. Mm. So I always cared about stories. That is probably the most concise way I can like explain just 
my passions as a kid. But again, you know, my parents felt like, all right, let's put him in this science program. Let's put him in that engineering program, have him like learn about these things. And, you know, in ways I loved it. I love the concepts. Yeah. Uh, I love knowing how things work and deconstructing and reconstructing things, you know, always had like connects and Lego sets. So, you know, I just always kind of had this builder mindset that I feel like was passed down from generations. Mm-hmm. Grandfather built houses in, in Jamaica. My dad, obviously, with the electronic stuff and with me, you know, eventually became stories. So I started college as a physics major, was paying my way through, worked a job at a CVS pharmacy in Rockaway Beach. A couple of things happened during that time. Like one, I ended up uh, just trying like under the weight of working full-time but also in college full-time and trying to have a life as as an adult with some like income i i got burnt out and Mm. ended up flunking out of my first school i was at started hunter took a semester off to just like reset and refocus and if physics wasn't going to cut it for me and even when i was studying physics i wanted to write science fiction that was Mm. that was a real thing I wanted to like help people's houses sound really pretty uh, as maybe an acoustical engineer and write science fiction on the side. Didn't work out. I'm like, okay, I still like telling stories. How can I tell stories and still make money? So went to Kingsborough Community College. They had a special program for uh, those who uh, were re-entering college <clears throat> after academic dismissal. I spent a year there studying broadcast technology and management. Had my first internship experience with the city of New York. Hmm. He filmed a 60 Minutes style uh, news magazine on the arts and culture of Brighton Beach and Coney Island. So like I, I've got some like production and editing chops and voiceover chops that, from, from that. And uh, around that time, a friend who I attended high school with, she was at FIT uh, taking up advertising design. She's now a recruiter at uh, top tech firms in Silicon Valley. She was like, hey... I know you've been blogging on your Tumblr and you write songs, you write short fiction, you do all these things. Like you can write your ass off. Like, have you considered advertising? And I was like, no, (laughs) like it was a concept that like, it was like developing in my mind that like copywriters existed, but like, I didn't realize. And like, it had dawned on me, like, you know, from somebody who really did love watching ads with my dad growing up that like, the quilted quicker picker upper wasn't just something that the team at Bounty came up with themselves. They hired writers. They hired people like me to come up with this stuff. And I was like, I might be able to do that. I, I want to see what's what. So she introduced me to this really dope uh, exec recruiter. Her name's Christy Cordes. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Christy's dope. So Christy put me on. Uh, she introduced me to where all the black people uh, which has its like what 10th anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. So I went to like their second ever event and uh, she told me make a Twitter. So she's responsible for me making a Twitter account <laughs> and from making my Twitter and attending uh, where all the black people, the rest of my career is kind of like, you know, history from that point, learned about me, learned about city college and it's advertising and PR program transferred just Immediately after my first year, Kingsborough was up and just like dove head first, mm. volunteered at social media week, blogged for advertising and creative week, mm. eventually interned at YNR, uh, now VML YNR, 
became an intern slash fellow in 2013, helped coin the phrase, make it happen. <laughs> also ended up helping to launch one of the first two schools built for careers in advertising, uh, first two high schools built, built for careers. Uh, mm. Mecca, the Manhattan Early College School for Advertising, I also named that. Uh, so I was doing all these cool projects on the side, even a partnership the forays had with Google. So, you know, I think back on like the larger 600 and rising partnership with the forays and I'm like, you know, I kind of been part of their whole like family. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And eventually got my first job at Interbrand, shortest tenure ever. <laughs> I was on their verbal identity team. So naming and trademarking, uh, messaging, uh, mm-hmm. tone of voice, uh, just like really the, the ins and outs of what makes a brand a brand. And then joined BBDO as its first member of uh, what became the creative residency. Right. So full-time hires, you know, at that agency just brought in in an unorthodox manner. Right. Uh, it was hard to translate that idea, uh, mm. that idea that you could just hire talent that came from these underrepresented communities and unorthodox backgrounds and uh, give them work, have them make their way through the agency and progress. It, it was tough and you know, we did our best. A lot of my peers are now, you know, killing it on the West Coast at different agencies or, you know, at indie shops. But I feel like I stuck it out the longest out of the that original group because, like, I had faith in the program and, like, I came all this way just to be a copywriter. And uh, it, it didn't it didn't quite work out as planned. And it was frustrating just uh, trying to knock on every door and hear the recruiters say, we do not have budget to bring an art director in to partner with. Mm. Uh, You know, I saw peers who started as interns after I started as a full-time hire and end up getting promoted twice over me. And, you know, love them to death as people and as uh, colleagues. But, you know, something just didn't feel right about being in rooms where People who knew me still didn't know if I was an intern or not myself. Mm. I'm like, I never was. <laughs> I never was. Uh, I'm W2 just like the rest of y'all. Mm. But also uh, being a part of diversity initiatives and feeling like my seat was kind of empty. You know, I was there and I was taking up space, but there wasn't real change happening. And I got tired of it. Mm. Uh, and the greater context of it all, and this was the second part of my whole like college and working at CVS thing, my family went through Superstorm Sandy mm. in 2012. It took us about five years between the day the storm hit in like October 30th, 2012, to very late 2017, almost October 2017, so almost like five years that like it took us to be fully settled back in our house. Wow. Got like displaced. I lived in hotel rooms for a while, bounced between relatives and somehow was still like trying to build a career for myself. Buddy, you're only 30. What a life. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, uh, it's, it's insane to, to think about, you know, mm. but it's also, you know, the fact that like, it's a little easier for me to like, forget about the life I lived to this point and like the context of it. Uh, You know, I want to feel like it speaks to the healing I I, I did in that process. Uh, But I would say one thing that's kind of interesting, two two points I would make, you know, one is that that residency moment mm -hmm. seems like a great idea that was ahead of its time for whatever Mm -hmm. reason 
if that program, you know, it, whether it exists today or not, I feel like in this moment, and thanks to your hard work and, and uh, you know, your, your partners over at 600 and Rising, now that thing could flourish. So yeah. for whatever reason, uh, the timing wasn't right. And I do think that this CVS moment was big. I think you were around all those brands and something happened. <laughs> yeah, man. Retail experience, like, you know, you know, consumers, you know, customer service. Right. I, I understand, like, we work in a service industry and that's, uh, that's the mindset I take into a lot of the things we do at 600, you know, and even when I talk to agency leaders, it's like, we forget there's can there's all these award shows there's all these conferences where we could talk a lot of shit but we are a service industry you know we are not just in service to our clients who are paying us but in service of the consumers who are kind of paying them <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah great way to look at it interesting and so and then your the chapter before this one was you were a journalist yeah so i was at the drum for a very crazy 2018 there was the Diet Madison Avenue saga. Oh, right. There was uh, the Facebook misinformation stuff with Cambridge Analytica mm. and just covering all those things, uh, the kind of fragmented media, media ecosystem that big tech had kind of just exacerbated, the changing agency model and landscape, and being a creative and somebody who study physics in a past life. I'm like, I want to take on creativity and innovation too. Uh, so I covered, it, it is, I feel like my thing is like, I take on a, a hell of a lot just because it interests me. Mm. Uh, so I covered a lot of stuff, but was putting out maybe four to six pieces of content a day. And as the only person based in New York full time, you know, they're a UK based publication at one point, I was working alongside Doug Zanger, who gave me my first opportunity to blog for Advertising Week. So that was a full circle moment for us working together. You know, he was in Portland. Part of my team was in Pennsylvania. So I'm just like running and running and running and, uh, you know, trying to get the best stories together. And my agency experience, like full stop, allowed me to be a better journalist and to cover the industry in a way that nobody else could. Because, hmm. like, I knew kind of the stories behind the stories. Right. You were an uh, insider. Yeah. So that was that was really cool for me. But, again, you know, I, I was burnt out once in my life, uh, you know, from, from school. And then when Sandy happened, it was just, like, spent. By the time I reached a year at the drum, was really hitting my stride in a way. And people were really recognizing uh, what I was putting together. I just crashed. I remember being invited to this uh, conference that JD Power invited me to and was in Vegas and I couldn't write anymore. Mm. Like I could not. And the moment I knew that like the one thing I loved, I could not, I don't know what sort of psychosomatic stress I went through, but mm. when you can't answer a text or an email or a Slack message or make a tweet, the first thing you do is call your dad and say, hey, when I get back from this Bellagio life and try to live my best Danny Ocean uh, moments, <laughs> I have to quit. It, it was a hard decision, but I knew it was the best for my mental and physical health. You know, and I also knew like I, I did enough at that point. I felt bad leaving my, my colleagues uh, in, in a vulnerable place. They were just hiring a, a new editor uh, to take over the region but I knew I had to step away. So that happened, spoke with the 3% conference, moderated a panel on gratitude, and then took a sabbatical. So most of my 2019 was spent getting back in love with the process of storytelling, mm. 
but also realizing this like crazy amount of knowledge in in brands and content and just like knowing that like my dream agencies weren't really agencies but places like T Brand Studio and Vox Creative. I'm like, I want to make branded content. I want to like, and also the media ecosystem sucks. Mm. How do I find a way to look at content in a way that builds out sustainable models for journalism and Mm. other forms of storytelling? And that road brought me to launching kind of my dream consultancy, Aerialist. So uh, working on quite a few projects with them, and uh, within that, with dope people like the Allyship and Action team, so helping them program their mm-hmm. conferences and not just moderating them, uh, working with We Are Rosie on some really cool stuff uh, at the end of July, and then, you know, quite a few startups that I'm excited to, to help launch uh, in, by like Labor Day. So even before I have a website up, I'll have legitimate editorial platforms launch and really cool projects launch that like I can just fill up a site with. Uh, so I'm like, you know, pressing pause and having like some legit formal corporate site and just saying, hey, you know, keep following the journey. I had to put my newsletter brand plus content on hold for a while just because things have been super crazy between A-list stuff, 600 stuff, but I have gratitude for the journey. You know, I, uh, you know, make, making history and changing an entire industry is time consuming. We get it. Dude, that, that is a hell of a story. It's, it's unreal. I think just to close, you know, we, we, we'd like to offer up one piece of advice and and I, I was thinking hard about this, uh, chat that we were going to have. And I think that if there's one piece of advice you could give to these predominantly white leadership teams at agencies and brands, give, give one piece of advice. Um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think my advice to, you know, any, any agency leader is, understand that you know this is going to be this is going to be messy business for the foreseeable future um pandemic and all that stuff but one and maybe this is like two pieces of advice forgive me uh (laughs) one like be forgiving of yourself in the process i've had to be forgiving of myself throughout my my career and you know i have the battle scars from it this is going to be trying it's going to be testing but like be forgiving of yourself at every step of the process And two, if you are going to care about black lives and the lives of people of color, you have to care about the issues that affect us the most. And this could go for police brutality and Mm. larger, you know, racial injustice thing like incarceration and stuff. But it also kind of goes to the current state of our time where this pandemic is hitting communities of color harder than, than most right now, you know, always like have that extra step of intentionality in your thought process. Do not be afraid to ask yourself that extra question and also see like, all right, it affects me in this way. How does it impact and affect my peers? Hmm. Because that's where, you know, we can talk about how ignorance is bliss, but like we can't be in a, at a time of ignorance right now. So starting with that extra question and then framing the problems of, of our world as marketers uh, through that extra question, you know, it'll help bring the right solution makers uh, into the fold. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, 
I think that your physics and your once uh, moment to be a, a physicist is coming in handy now because you are breaking inertia. So uh, I love that. I'm going to keep that line. I, please. <laughs> that, that is, that is for you. No, I, you, you really are doing amazing things. Uh, you and uh, what you've led with your partners over at uh, 600 and rising. It's, uh, it's incredible. And you're going to make, you're going to make our industry better and you're going to make the world better. So uh, thank, you. thank you for doing that. Yeah. I appreciate that, Rob. Uh, appreciate being on the podcast too. Amazing. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.